When you think of satellites, what do you think of? For the last couple of generations, these solitary beacons roaming high above Earth have been at the technical heart of some of our biggest cultural moments. And here in Australia, the first satellite program sent pictures from Carnarvon to London. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Good evening, live from the Berlin Wall on the most historic night in this wall's history. The birth of the satellite changed every element of how we communicate. Changes that began when the Soviets beat the US into the space race with the launch of Sputnik on October 4th, 1957. That's a recording of the signal Sputnik sent as it passed over Earth. Sputnik's launch caught the United States off guard, but it didn't take long for them to catch up. All at once, Americans were interested in the oncoming age of space. And with the curiosity came a mounting, swelling demand to get a satellite into the air on the double. In January 1958, Explorer 1 was launched. The attention of the American people was focused on Cape Canaveral, Florida, as a giant rocket was catapulted toward outer space. Explorer 1 was the satellite responsible for discovering belts of magnetic radiation around the Earth. Sputnik also led to the creation of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, or NASA, through the passing of the US Space Act in July 1958. Not a bad achievement for a satellite the size of a beach ball. There are upwards of 1,700 working satellites in space at this very moment, and that number is growing every day. They can range in size from a bus right down to a loaf of bread. And it's those tiny nanosatellites that are making space more accessible and more affordable. You know, for a friction of the cost, you can launch a satellite. You don't launch a big one, you launch kind of a storm of bees around Earth, very, very close to Earth, very high-tech. So it's physically a 30 by 40 little box, super high-tech, that does what a massive $1 billion satellite usually was used to do in the past. So it's completely changing how we approach space, how we access space, and how much we spend for space. Welcome to Moonshot, the show exploring the world's biggest moonshot ideas and the people making them happen. I'm Christopher Lawson. And I'm Andrew Moon. And up ahead, we continue our dive into the new breed of space companies, this time building a whole new class of satellites. In our last Moonshot, we talked rockets, but we did mention a couple of types of small satellites that were being launched into space. The smallest of these are what are called CubeSats or NanoSats. These tiny satellites are really democratising access to space and are giving a whole lot more people the ability to use space as a platform to launch new ideas. So in this moonshot, we meet an entrepreneur who is building a whole constellation of nanosatellites to power the Internet of Things. a very big family of all engineers, quite high achiever, but I was little, I wanted to do space. I was that kind of very nearly five years old, you know, that started creating little rockets in the backyard, and uh, yeah, I'm that kind of person. 
and and just did what I wanted. I wanted to work in space. It's, sometimes I think it just just what I was born to do is like I don't know. I don't know. It's a curse, but I love it. So my name is Flavia Tatanardini, and I'm the CEO of Fleet Space Technologies. Fleet Space is a company that I co-founded a couple of years ago, uh, my second startup, and we are building uh, a digital nervous system around Earth, launching 100 nanosatellites. Fleet Space Technologies is based in Adelaide in South Australia, and as Flavia alluded to, the company is planning to create this constellation of nanosatellites to become the back-end infrastructure of a range of new Internet of Things devices. Think of it like what a phone network is to your smartphone. We need to improve food production. We need to pay attention of um, water wastage and so forth. So we need to measure. So there are a lot of industries from agri-tech, environmental, even in you know, the shipping industry, and uh, we waste something like 50% of our food in supply chains that they finally want to measure. And what happened is that, okay, we can deploy sensors, but how are we gonna connect them? Because everything we have done in the past 20 years, 3G, 4G, 5G, is to connect us, to give you the chance to use your iPhone. It's not really to connect sensors in a farm or have a smart cities and so forth. So the idea of, of IoT, 75 billion devices without internet to support them. So this is why a fleet, we thought, okay, maybe it's time to create something, a total different internet connection for things. You've heard this word constellation come up a number of times already, and while most people associate a constellation with a pattern of stars, the same concept applies to satellites. GPS is a great example of a constellation of satellites, a network of satellites that work together to provide exact location data. And Flavia's big bold nanosatellite bet hasn't gone unnoticed. Fleet Space Technologies has attracted investor interest from the likes of Blackbird Ventures and Atlassian's Mike Cannon-Brooks. CubeSats are a particularly attractive portion of the market because they're cheap to produce in comparison to a traditional satellite. So more or less, to give you an idea, to launch a big, big satellite, uh, you know, one that we are used to see for our TV, you might really end up spending uh, $800 million just to build it. And most probably $800 million to launch it. Takes five years to build, longer time to launch, and you cross fingers doesn't blow up during launch. Nanosatellites, totally different order of magnitude. You need more to achieve the same, but most probably a constellation. This is how we call it when we launch many of them. It costs um, 20 times less. So one of these little satellites could cost around you know, $500,000 or a million, and uh, to launch them is a friction of the cost because they fly very close to Earth. Big satellites, they fly 36 or 38,000 kilometers far from us. It's quite far. So you need a lot of power to push them up there. But these guys fly at 500 kilometers from Earth because they are small and they stay there long. So a friction of the cost is really a friction of the cost. Right now, Fleet is preparing to launch the first two of their satellites. And eventually, the constellation of satellites will allow anyone to connect a smart device to Fleet's network. The other big difference with Fleet's nanosatellites is disposability. Unlike the costly giant satellites that make remote TV crosses possible, these satellites only have a lifespan of just a couple of years. And the low cost of production and launch also means they can be continuously upgraded. You don't want them to last really long. It's like your iPhone. You must probably want to change it every two years, right? We are used to launch satellites and they are up there for 50 years. So we use technology of 50 years ago. These little guys, we can update them three, maybe three years. It's really like an iPhone. So you got solar panels, you got batteries, 
you got everything to allow them to operate to three to five years, and then you change them, you update them with a new tech. So what they do, they talk with this kind of um, gateway on the ground. So you are, you are a farmer or in any industry, and you want to connect 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 sensors in your field, you buy this little guy and you put it in your field, it's plug and play, and you connect. So you create a local internet connectivity everywhere you go. Fleet has a small factory not far from the Adelaide airport, and like any startup, it's very lean and still feels very much like a company dealing with rapid growth. Flavia gave me a tour of the site, and given the company started just a couple of years ago, they've come an extraordinary long way in a very short space of time. We wanted a warehouse, because you start small, but you grow very, very quickly. In April, we were like two people, and now we're like 25. <laughs> there is uh, no space anymore. You'll see upstairs. So we are building this mission control here. It's a little bit outside the city, very close to the airport. It's really good. We, we put these shipping containers to do some sort of uh, clean rooms where we can assemble the satellites. And there is all um, open-air electric assembly. And these guys... Because we work in, in farms and, uh, you know, in oceans, they assemble, you know, buoys and color tracking, all sorts of things here. So, you know, 3D printing. So slowly this place is getting busier and busier. But just because these nanosatellites are small doesn't mean they don't pack an awesome amount of technology. Just think of the power that you can fit in an iPhone and then think of how many of those phones you could fit in a shoebox. What are some of the things that go on a satellite? So a satellite is uh, it's a stack of uh, what we call PCB, so printing circuit board that I'll show you now. And they've got uh, the electrical power system, the computer, the attitude control, the radio. So every single subsystem of satellites is on a is on a card, is on a circuit board. Now I think Paul is working on one of our radios. Hi, Paul. Hi. This is one of the radios, and they look like that, you see? Right. So they are stuck one on top of the other. You can have one unit, or you can have three units, or they are 30 by 10 centimeters, or a little bit bigger, so up to a shoebox size. And on each of them, so one of them, there is a radio that communicates to the ground, so that one is the one that communicates to our client. Okay or that you control system to make sure that the satellite is in the right position. All the system it talks to a solar panel. So yeah, they are all very high-tech, miniaturized subsystems. How long have you been with Fleet? I'm actually in here as a, a contractor to uh, develop the software that's talking between the radio transmission module and the small onboard computer. And its job is to actually communicate with the ground station and transfer data and we're translating the data we're given into standard internet protocols so the idea is it will look up there in space like uh, like something on the internet and is that is that sort of like a fairly complex uh, thing to sort of like decode that data that you're the, dealing with the data itself not so much um, the trickiness comes into the fact that when of course the satellites orbiting the earth you are continuously losing contact and then gaining contact with the various ground stations during the orbit. So the tricky part there is to actually make sure that you don't lose any data in those gaps. So you pick up the data when you can, 
you wait until you're in contact again and then transmit what you've got and receive what you've got. How do you, how do, you do that when the satellite's just like whizzing around at like such a high speed? There must be like a very short window of time where you can transfer data. Totally. Yeah. How, how do you do that? As fast as you can when you've got that. When you've got the signal, you've got to go, right, let's go. <laughs> transmit and receive as fast as you can go to get everything done. And then you lose contact again and then wait for the next signal to come along. How much data would you send in... In like a so internet of things is bits of data so don't think about you know people the type of skype type of data so it's, it's kilobits bits of data okay. but we aggregate so we got a little bit more data but still is if it's a friction is few megabits of data so when uh, the, this aggregators this modem gets the data when they see the satellites they forward the data the satellites store the data when they see ground station so it's a it's a quite complex communication system but yeah this is what you do with a constellation in leo and we'll have more of our interview with flavia right after this break Before the break, we were talking with Flavia Taranardini from Fleet Space Technologies about the work the company is doing to launch a constellation of nanosatellites into space. And as Flavia explained, Fleet is planning to use that constellation to build a whole new backbone network for remote IoT devices. She's hoping that one day this network will be just as accessible as the internet. So nowadays we don't question internet anymore, right? We just use it. We don't question who created infrastructure. How does it really work? You know, I've got a master and I, I love rockets and all sorts of things. But if you ask me how the internet works, I'm like, I don't know. I've got a modem and I just plug things on Google. Okay. And that's it. I'm just so used to it. So what we are doing with the Internet of Things is creating the end end architecture and make sure that all this data are modeled properly. And, you know, it's multi-access, very complicated telecommunication protocols to make sure that this happens. And clients don't even have to question anymore. They just use it. And Fleet aren't the only company working on a nanosatellite constellation. One of the best-known nanosatellite companies is Planet Labs, based in California, who have already created a network of imaging satellites that they're calling doves. We think of Planet's platform as a way of querying the Earth, sort of a macro uh, search engine for the planet. So we are indexing where all the objects are around the Earth, a bit like Google indexed what's on the internet. Planet's dove constellation is creating a daily picture of life on Earth, allowing you to look back very specifically on changes in the environment or our cities. Another company building their very own satellite constellation is Spire Global. We have the world's largest ship tracking constellation. Right? We have the world's only and largest commercial weather data constellation. We are like the iPhone to the flip phone in the satellite space. Spire is chasing the same goal as Fleet in that they're using satellites to gather data from devices in remote locations across the globe. And they're further ahead than Fleet in their mission. They've just raised a Series C round of $70 million. And while Fleet has only raised a Series A round of just $5 million, they're planning to raise more once the first satellites are in orbit. We already have customers, but finally connect them with our satellites, and then we are capital raising again. So we're going to go to Sirius B, that is another first time in Australia for a space company. It's going to be very interesting. And I think we will make it because Fleet is doing really, really well. 
we, you know, I, I built satellite in the past, I've launched satellites, I'm a rocket scientist, but this is not all about satellites. This is about a very massive new market that we need to understand what customer really wants. We need to understand what they need. Flavia hopes to have Fleet's full constellation of satellites in low Earth orbit by 2021. And with all those satellites comes data. Lots of it. And like a lot of other tech giants, Fleet recognises that there's big business in owning the transmission, collection and interpretation of data. And that got me thinking, what is Fleet? Is it a hardware company or are they really a software company that's in the big data game? So we see each other, uh, we see like a company, we're providing a service. Of course, it's a combination with hardware and software, but we are very, very careful. It's like, um, okay, we, we need a hardware to provide people with a service. But realistically speaking, it's all the apps, it's everything around this, it's the data you provide that is the key. Um, for for a farmer, just just as a farmer, that is something that you understand quite easily. Easily having a hardware in the field to gather data is fine, but what are they going to do with this data? So the key is, of course, funneling the data, but give insight. So this is where machine learning and artificial intelligence, all the other amazing words, come in, and this is where I see fleet. This is where we provide an added value. So crazily, I'm not a satellite. I'm a space lover, but not a satellite company. We operate a constellation. We operate a satellite constellation, but we are not a satellite company. We are not a hardware company. We build some products, but for us, it's all delivering data to customers. That is exactly what they need. Changing gears now, it's not all about data and numbers. At the end of the day, satellites also need names. Planet Labs has the doves, Spire has lemurs, and Fleet? So they're called actually Centauri. One, they're all called Centauri. Centauri is uh, one of the constellations in the sky. One far, but not far enough that we cannot reach it. So they're called Centauri 1 and Centauri 2. So the idea is every of them will have Centauri name. So C1 and C2 are going online soon. And I really hope very soon I will be a nice C98 is coming online. <laughs> I hope so. It means that we are doing really well. You know, we can't we can't talk about space and not talk about what Elon is doing. And obviously he sees this vision of going to Mars and he's talked about this, you know, sending humans to Mars by around sort of like 2025-ish. NASA wants to send them by 2032, I think, is their, is their goal. What does all this sort of uh, investment in going further than Earth's you know, orbit and going to like the moon and then going to Mars. What does that mean for, for you as a company and, and, and also you personally? Like, how does that inspire you and what you're doing? I'm a big fan of Elon. Um, if he wants to do something, he will do it. So what he's trying to show the community is that there is a commercial investment to going outside from Earth. It's a very big sentence, commercial investment to go to Mars or to the moon. He will do it anyway and it will create an opportunity around him. What it means is that companies like us or many other companies will need to create, not for him, but let's say around him, okay, the infrastructure necessary for people to live on Mars. When I say infrastructure, I say everything like telecommunications, weather monitoring around Mars, everything on the planet. There's so many the power, the trees, it's so much infrastructure that will need be required. Elon will not do it all. It's opening, 
the path because he's bold and he, and he doesn't care. And we love him for this, okay? He's opening the path and say, I can do this. I'll show you, but it will require infrastructure around you. So the best visionary will be people and of course, I want to go to Mars. Of course, I want to put an IoT uh, constellation around Mars. So don't worry, this is going to be my next constellation, of course. Because that's exactly what we have to do. And it's hard now for investors. Some of them are very smart and they see it. But it's hard for them to justify who's going to pay for it. But slowly, when it's going to start building a city and people will start building satellites for communication, slowly there's going to be an investment opportunity. It's going to be 10 years. It's not going to be like... Eight years, it's gonna happen very, very soon. So you will see, I read an article that say that entrepreneurs will become astro astropreneur. They're changing even a name. So entrepreneur for the astro. This is, this is what we do and this is what we have to do. You know, I always make the joke that Elon does a lot of things to help Earth, you know, with Tesla, with the power, with everything he does, but he's got an escape plan, you know, to bring us all to Mars if something goes wrong. And this is what we want to do as well and provide him. I really hope Fleet will be the first telecommunication company in space, you know, to give telecommunication to the other planets. I love your posters on the wall. The posters are nice, eh? Can, can you just describe what's on the so There are two mass uh, posters here and both of them have got two rockets that are about to um, take off from Mars. I love how both of them are similar rockets, so they they look like SpaceX rockets, so they land on themselves, okay? And they go up, and it makes me laugh a bit, but it's all red. You know what I like about Mars? That looks like South Australian desert. <laughs> so you could easily do a simulation of a Mars landing in South Australia, and no one will notice the difference. So the poster looks very red to give an idea. And of course, there are people on, on Mars. What I found fascinating is that in one, people are, there is also a rover, a rover going around, and on the other one, and they, there are people hugging, and it's just, it's just the future, isn't it? And uh, it's going to happen way soon. Mm. Sometimes, you know, we, I think that my girls, I've got a five years old, a three years old, they will most probably in 20 years choose to go on holiday on Mars. It's going to be good fun. Are where, they, are they fascinated? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they are. Yeah. A couple of months ago, I did a TED talk, uh, a TEDx talk in Adelaide about Mars and... Uh, going to Mars and they the two years old doesn't really understand or the five years old she's amazing a couple of days ago she asked me are you a space agent or a space captain and I'm like I'm a space captain <laughs> thanks for joining us on another episode of Moonshot as we explore the future that's about to happen if you want to find out more about the show head across to our website moonshot.audio or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Moonshot Pod. Our cover artwork is by Andrew Millist, and our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Moonshot is a production of Lawson Media, and it's hosted by me, Christopher Lawson, and also Andrew Moon. And if you've got any moonshots that you'd love us to explore this year, send us an email to moonshot at lawson.media. Join us again next time as we explore more big ideas that are set to change our future. Thank you.